Hello all, this is the Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack, and before we get started, I would just like to remind you to please visit the Crime Cafe website, the link on my website, at debbiemack.com. If you click on Crime Cafe, you can find links to the uh, subscriptions to the, the podcast itself the uh, box set and anthology buy links, as well as Crime Cafe merchandise, a place where you can purchase purchase merchandise. So just go to debbiemack.com, click on Crime Cafe, and check that out. So with that said, I am going to introduce now my my guest, author, Alan Ansorch. I hope I'm saying that right. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, did I say that name right, Ansorge? Close enough. I mean, that, that's that been malformed Ansorge? so many. Well, if you were Dutch, it would be Ansorga. Ansorga? Um, yeah. It, it just gets mutilated left and right. Between that and my mother hating me and spelling Alan with two L's and an A, I just, uh, life's been cruel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I can sympathize because my husband's last name is Italian, and everybody botches it. It's mm-hmm. long in Italian. I was so, thinking about changing my name to Anonymous once, but it, it just, I heard it was taken. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, there's always John Doe. <laughs> True. I've been uh, reading, I think it's very close to home. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, very, very close to home. Very De- close Detective to home. Victor Very. Victor Very, yeah. Uh, he has quite the sense of humor. I like him. Uh, please tell us about the book. The book, um, the inspiration behind it was a true happening. There was a police officer that was called uh, uh, as a, a first uh, um, attendee at an attempted robbery in a grocery store. And he had a heart attack in the process. And I thought, that is absolutely intriguing. And then I I prefer writing female characters. Um, And I have a number of them in in the Bay Harbor series and in the Victor Very series. I think women are more interesting than men, actually. And uh, the first responder to his heart attack is a two-year female police officer. She's been on the beat for two years, and she aspires to become a detective. The police chief, in order to protect his, his, uh, because of a videotape, they saw that the detective was actually stalked into the grocery store. And... uh, that person took his gun, his badge, and his cell phone, and was going to shoot him in the in the grocery store. And when someone came, a shopper came around the corner, the assailant left. And she arrived, and she saves him by pumping aspirin into him. And when his boss decides that he needs a protector while he's healing, she volunteers for the job. And so they are awkward housefellows to say the least. And yes. she, she induces her mother to come and help her uh, to complete this task of, of protecting him. And uh, her mother is, is XMI5 out of England. Well, she says she's X, but she isn't really. She is MI5, MI6, 
And one of the comments her daughter makes about her is she can shoot the wings off of a flea, and I only bet sassed her once, which gives you say, yeah. a very accurate picture of what this woman is. I was going to uh, say, she's a pistol. <laughs> yeah, she, she is, yeah. Uh, I really like, like I said, uh, there, there, has to be, there has to be a pony that pulls the wagon, you know. I, I really believe out of all those Budweiser horses, only one of them is really doing the work. And I, in this particular book, um, she is the one that pulls the story. She has help in it, obviously. And, uh, but she is the main character in the book, even though it's titled Victor Very. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He, I was going to say, yeah, he, he doesn't do a lot of investigating himself. It's more like he's at home mm -hmm. organizing. Yeah. yeah. He, he's an organizer. Well, he is the head of the, the detectives. So he's used to being a supervisor. She, mm -hmm. on the other hand, answers to no one. Uh, she just, Cynthia just uh, does what Cynthia does. And uh, she, she has some help that work out of her office, which is hidden in the convenience store. I thought that was kind of neat, too. Mm. That she had to open the door to a milk cooler to get into the, the MI5 headquarters in the States. <laughs> but... And it, it was meant to be funny, and it is funny. I was going to say, how would you characterize your writing style? Humorous mystery, cozy, hard-boiled? Is there? I th I thought it was going to be traditional. I mm -hmm. you know I really envisioned it being. I, I always tell people I'm I'm more Agatha Christie than I'm Edgar Allan Poe. I just I I don't like gore in any way, shape, or form. And so mm -hmm. for me, uh, it, I mean. There was a murder committed prior to where the book starts in this thing that's mentioned, and I even hesitated at that. Um, it, it's just not the nature of the beast, I guess. I, I don't enjoy that. And I don't particularly like or appreciate vulgarity either. And mm -hmm. so people ask me, you know, can my kid read this book? Can they read? <laughs> that would be a, that would be the starting point. Um, and uh, I, I've the, the Bay Harbor series too is, is three books long now, and I'm finishing the fourth book right now. And same scenario. It's an ensemble cast, uh, but there and there is romance in that one, in that series. And there's wedding or marriage proposals and that kind of stuff. But there's no sex, no blood, no, you know, nothing that of that nature. So it's very, Corey. very G-rated? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I read one of the reviews. I, I enjoy reading reviews, good ones and bad ones. And one of the reviews on Amazon says that uh, one of the characters in the Bay Harbor series, Maggie Fletcher, who uh, I also don't spend a lot of time creating descriptions of characters. I figure that if they, if somebody is willing to spend money to buy the book, they must be smart enough to have the money. So that also would make them smart enough to have an imagination and paint the picture of the characters in their own mind by what they say and what they do. I'm with you there. I, I don't like too much description. Uh, with Maggie Fletcher, early on in the book, uh, she's described as someone who is Internet and addicted, and she sh was old enough she should have been a grandmother. Hmm. 
And that's all I said about her. Well, one of the people that reviewed the book or wrote a review on, on Amazon said she was a foul-mouthed old broad. <laughs> and Maggie Fletcher doesn't swear anywhere in the books. I hate it when people review books and they haven't read them. Huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> and you can tell. If you're the writer, you can tell if they've really read the book or not. I'm, I'm sure you can, too. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, your books are, are not unlike mine. You have humor in your books. You have you have really good character development. Well, thank you. I, I think Sam is is really interesting and obviously written out of your own experiences. I would think. Uh, to a certain extent, I've never been beaten up by the mob, or you know, I've actually never handled a murder case. So, but I have had experience as a um, a solo attorney. That mm -hmm. a lot of that fed into to to the, um, the character, uh, that was primarily it. Uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I didn't write a lot of it from direct experience, but um, I don't want to talk a whole lot about me, <laughs> but, um, but. Oh, I do. I, I think comparing, oh, comparing, comparing what we do and how we view it, I yeah. think it's very interesting, you know? Okay, well, um, Thank you. I, I really appreciate your, your kind words about the book. Um, it's always nice when another author says something good about your work. And um, I'm enjoying uh, the, the Victor Veri book a lot. And uh, I was curious about your Bay Harbor Mysteries. Yeah. Who are the characters in that and what is the story arc? There is a sheriff's deputy who was involved in an accident with a semi. And the night he proposed to his fiance, and she is ki killed in it, in the accident, and his one leg is totally damaged, and he can no longer pass the physical for the sheriff's department. Mm -hmm. So he's mustered out, but he owned a boat on Lake Michigan, and it's located in a small town on uh, what we refer to in Wisconsin as chartered boat towns. There isn't an awful lot there other than probably a local diner a marina, and boats that people go in to hire to go out and fish on the lake. And that's what he gets, decides he's going to get into. And all of a sudden, they realize that someone killed him or, or tried to kill him on purpose. And the, the young lady that run, owns the diner in the marina, the guy that runs the marina, his mother, his ex-partner in the squad, and a uh, girl who actually takes his place in the department because when they have the vacancy, she moved up on the list and she became a deputy. And those people pool together because they realize that uh, they're not going to get a lot of official support on the thing to find out why they tried to kill him. So they take it on themselves to do it. So it's kind of a, kind of a Jessica Fletcher thing where they, you have an amateur several amateurs working with a detective to, to solve a case. Hmm. And uh, what did you do in a previous life before you became an author? What was your career? <laughs> um, it's almost uh, uh, indelicate to say nowadays, I was a businessman. Um, uh -huh. I worked in one industry from the time I was 16 years old on, 
an industry that most people would say, man, why did you want to do that? And I didn't really know at the time, but my son later explained it to me because he went into the same business. It was the foundry industry. Huh. In castings, melting metal, turning solid into liquid, and turning it into something useful. And worked in several companies, um, folded several companies, <laughs> actually, <laughs> that went out of business during the, the 80s. They were really beaten up badly by foreign interest, uh, foreign imports. But uh, I worked for a company that went under, and my boss in the company and I started a rep firm, and we got very lucky. Uh, and we grew a business, a sales rep business, with American interest, based solely on American product. And it became successful. It's a delicate way to put it. It was successful. At one point, we were looking for a source. We found a source that we could represent. And they, I had been on the road for a couple of days, and I had secured a purchase order for a product that the president of a company wrote, made out the purchase order with a ballpoint pen right in front of me and handed it to me, which to me was kind of a, a, a if nothing else, a modicum of s sincere trust on his part hmm. that he would take somebody that he had just met and say, you can do this for me. I believe in you. Yeah. When, when I got back to the, to my office, the office for the company, which at that time was in my home, there was a message there that the source I intended to place that with had closed. Hmm. And I had nowhere to go with a purchase order for a million and a quarter dollars. Oh my gosh. And we started looking for someone to do it. And we formed an alliance with a small startup company whose gross sales the year before that was $365,000. And I was standing there with a million and a, and a quarter, better than a million and a quarter purchase order. And they went from six employees to over a period of three years to 108 employees with us selling for them. Oh my gosh. And eventually there was so much work there that uh, one of the partners decided to leave. And the other partner said, you, uh, you got You have to come in and buy out the company or I'm going to have to close it. I can't run it myself. And we did. Wow. And it was just, uh, and, and it was a very successful journey for us. We did some things that were just not heard of in business at that time. Uh, we, were, we had fractional hours for uh, women who wanted to be home to take their kids to school, then wanted to be able to pick them up and, and for lunch times sometimes or getting out of school. Uh, so we gave them the ability to come and finish their shift after their kids were home and fed. We reimbursed 100% of education as long as they maintained a C average in any field that they chose. So we had a couple of nurses assistants and one RN come out of it. It was interesting. Hmm. It was fun. Sounds fascinating. I mean, it sounds like you, you really uh, were quite the entrepreneur. I guess so. Um, yeah, I guess so. I guess that's what we were. I, I, I always I always refer to us as being exceedingly lucky, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you make your luck, and that's right place, right time for every all parties concerned. Exactly, and, and the company is still functioning. It's still providing 
uh, we have people there that have been promoted within the company that started there when they were 18 and now they're managing the company. Hmm. Well, it sounds to me like uh, the inspiration for your books is quite different than what you were doing as a business person. I uh, had always enjoyed writing. Mm -hmm. I'd always enjoyed reading. Um, I was one of those kids that was bored in school all the time. And I went to a very, I was grew up in a very small town, 300 people and over half of the population spoke Welsh. Wow. Which was kind of strange. It was named Wales. Wow. <laughs> and it's all been subdivided and that stuff now. And it's a, a, a bedroom community. It, but it, uh, it was an interesting place to grow up because you saw the world as a microcosm right in front of you. There was good, bad, you know, clean and dirty, everything all in one place and close enough. You were close enough to it to see it as you were growing up. And you found out that nothing is ever all bad and nothing is ever all good. Yeah. And that was, that's life yeah. really is. Exactly. That, that's, that's fascinating. I, I was fascinated to read that you went to a four-room schoolhouse in your small town? Yes. The library in that grade school was four foot long. It was a bookshelf and had a single row of books that was about 48 inches long. Oh, my gosh. And uh, my favorite book out of that was Crazy Quilt and Boxcar Children. Uh-huh. Because the boxcar children grew up poorer than I was, so I thought I was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, that's uh, something else. Yeah. And, and uh, Crazy Quilt was about a horse that slept in a bed with a quilt. <laughs> wow. When I got to high school, I bust for an hour and a half to get to a high school. And the high school had one street between it and a vacant lot in the library. And when I got into that library, the proverbial all hell broke loose because I, I spent all of my lunch hours in that library. And I read everything from Sue Barton, Student Nurse, to the Pirates of Penzance plays and oh variations on it. And uh, yeah, the librarians didn't even have me checkbooks out anymore. They just did said, you, take what you want and bring them back. Did you ever read Jerry Ames Mysteries? No. no. I used to read Nancy Drew and Jerry Ames. I read Conan Doyle. Yeah, Conan Doyle, yeah. And that too. went on even through our, our our next January, my wife and I will indeed be celebrating with our children our 50th anniversary. Congratulations. We are all going together on a cruise in the Caribbean next January 12th. And uh, when we were first married, we used to take turns reading Conan Doyle to each other at night. Oh, that's nice. And she She is an avid, avid reader. I, I really believe she keeps Kindle and Cole. She just, uh, she just, <laughs> uh, she, she probably reads three to four books a week. My goodness. She does not read my books once they're printed. She is my alpha reader. Mm -hmm. And all she does is comments on continuity. She does not con uh, concentrate on punctuation or anything like that. But she makes certain that the humor is there and that it's understandable. That's good. That's, that's wonderful. Because when you write something funny, it's not easy to write funny. 
It's not, it's not no. I spent a couple of hours with Carl Hyacinth one time. Yes, I was going to ask about him since you live in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, actually, uh, I was at uh, Crime Spree, I believe it was. Uh-huh. No, Sleuth Fest. And he was there, and uh, Brad Meltzer, John Lyon, and oh, one of my one of my idols, uh, Stephen Cannell. Oh yes. And the four of us were sitting around a table, and I don't know why I was included in the conversation, but we were outside, and it was the sun was just going down, and we were talking about writing. What else do writers do? You know. They talk about writing, and we were talking about writing humor, and Cannell said he couldn't do it. Brad Meltzer said, I tried twice. He said, I couldn't give the, plot, the, the paper away. He said, even for scratch paper. He said, nobody wanted it, which I thought was a funny line in itself. Um, and Hyacin looked at me, and he said, I read Crossing the Center Line, and I said, I waited for the blow to come, you know, <laughs> and uh, it never came. He sat there and he said, I think what you do with the people in relationship to one another, you set the reader up so that they think the people are funny, even when they're not being funny huh. because they're unusual characters. He said, not everybody decides to have a black man that's 90 some years old in a nursing home be a character in a book. And the dialogue that he has and the way he expresses himself, nothing he says is slapstick humor. It's not physical humor, right. anything. He sits there and he says, like uh, one of the lines that he quoted out of the book, which I think for me at that point in my writing career was the epitome. He said, when you have that man say, here comes that girl with the yellow dress. He said, it's funny. He said, my gal. He said, no, that's not right. It's my gal with the yellow dress. <laughs> uh, he said, having a guy that's 90-some years old have a crush on somebody because she's wearing a yellow dress, he said, doesn't get better than that. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That that really must have felt good. Yeah. I, I admire Carl Hyacinth so much. So do I. Uh, he and Dorsey both. I just... Uh, they're, they're like, they should be institutionalized, I think. <laughs> they're, not, they're not right in the head, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But they are funny. They Have are you ever funny. thought about writing satirical fiction? Uh, no. No, I think that you have to. I think possibly it, it's formed by their occupations. Mm -hmm. They were both newspaper writers. Mm -hmm. And I think that they see and read so much it's so bad that they could turn anything into a joke. I think it, their exposure is what really makes them good. That's a good point. I think yeah. they bring something to the table that I don't, I don't have the luxury of having. I, it's somebody else who I find extremely funny in person, and I say that to people, and they, it's Jeffrey Deaver. Hmm. Jeffrey Deaver is no. one of the fun. Oh, you will. Go to C3. He's going to be at C3 this year. I'll be there, yeah. Yeah. He was there for the second one. Uh, one of the more gracious people I've ever been around. He and, um, oh, what's his name? Gail, 
Gilbreth? John Gilbreth? John? Oh, yes. Yes. Is that what his name is? They, Gilbert, they, something like yeah, that. Gilbert, yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, he, the ex-fireman, volunteer fireman, and that stuff. Mm -hmm. And he was there the same year. And for some absurd reason, they put me at the author signing with those two people. And people oh are gosh. coming up and asking to get pictures taken with them. And John was had a New York Times bestseller, like some other people I know. <laughs> Twice I hear. Um, <laughs> he was on the New York Times list, and so was Deaver, and I was sitting in between them. And every time somebody came up to get a picture, Deaver would grab a hold of me and squeeze me into the photo and say, you belong in here. Your book's damn funny. <laughs> it's, oh, wow. That's awesome. He's a very gracious man. I've, I've met so many um, well-known authors who are just wonderful people. Harlan mm. Coben, very nice guy. Indeed. Lee Lee Child, total gentleman and just a wonderful guy. Um, uh, do you know who Penny Halley is? Have who? you ever met Penny Halley? The name a, sounds familiar. She's a librarian in uh -huh. charge of children's books, and she was part of uh, uh, Murder and Mayhem in Muskego, one of the founders of it and that stuff. And one year at Bausher Khan, I was, you know how they had that box lunch thing? Mm-hmm during the, one of the lunches is like a sandwich. It's, it's, a, it's like a Huber Law <laughs> lunch. It's, you, you don't know what Huber Law is. Uh, no. Maybe that's a term that's indigenous to Wisconsin. It's where <laughs> they put you like uh, in a minimum security prison. Hmm. But lunch every day is a big bologna sandwich, an apple, and a bag of potato chips. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what you got at this move nest, which I thought was really kind of ironic. But at any rate, I was yeah. out in the lobby picking up the stupid box lunch, and I was going to get a can of soda. And Penny Halley came through the door from the room where the tables were all set up, and she said, Alan, come here. And I said, I'm getting the soda. And she said, I said, come here now. I said, okay. <laughs> and I follow her in there, and she walks up to one of those big plywood tabletop things that they put out. You know, a real table, they put the plywood on top to make it bigger. And Lee Childs was there. Barry Eisler was there. And there was an empty chair at the table. And she pointed at it and said, sit down. And I looked at her with panic in my eyes. And I said, Penny. And she said, you belong here. Oh, my gosh. And Tess Garrison was sitting alongside of me. And wow. she introduced herself. And she said, Penny's been telling us what funny, great mysteries you write. And I said, Penny lies. You know that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and oh Penny Halley looked across the around the person who was sitting next to me, which was Barry Eisler, and she said, don't make me stand up and belch you in front of all of these people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was amazing for me to be there. And, well, then, yeah. and then one day... I have a, I'm a, I have a tendency to be off I, by myself at those things. I really mm -hmm. don't think I belong there is what it amounts to. <laughs> and, and I don't. <laughs> Amazingly <laughs> enough, I have that part right. But uh, I was at the breakfast, and I took this. They were interview, uh, interviewing uh, the British lady writer that now they consider like the female Oh, what's her name? Anyway, she comes down from the stage 
and she goes through the buffet line and she comes back and I was sitting there with Joanna and uh, she came over and she said, may I join you to Joanna? And Joanna said, don't ask me, it's Alan's table. <laughs> it was fun. Wow. Well, um, I'm going to have to wrap up, but is there anything else you'd like to add before we uh, finish up? No, I think I've ruined this whole experience for you. <laughs> all on my own. <laughs> but I do, I do appreciate the opportunity. And Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, I remember us sitting together at dinner at C3. Oh, my gosh. And you were the quietest person at that table. <laughs> yeah. And I that remember saying to person. Jane, you were, I, Jane, was, my wife, was seated between us. And I said, you know what I think, Jane? And she said, I shuddered every time you say that, Alan. And I said, I think she's the smartest one at the table. <laughs> and she said, coming from you with your IQ, that's very interesting, Alan. I said, maybe you should play chess with her. I said, I don't play chess, Jane. She said, yeah, that'd confuse her, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that would confuse both of us since I'm not a very good chess player. <laughs> Neither was I. That's why I don't play anymore. But I, I, I really enjoyed meeting you there. And yeah, this, is the, here. this is the best interview I've ever done with anybody. Well, that's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Because I don't consider myself a natural at doing these things. So um, anytime I can get this right, I feel like I'm doing something really fantastic. <laughs> you know, something well, I thought it worked out really well. And I didn't I break anything. Great. Yeah, Did anything okay. break at your end? I didn't. Well, not at all. Not that I know of. I won't know oh, until I get the recording. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, on that note, I just want to say thank you so much again for being here, and, and thank you for uh, to all my listeners and viewers, um, we will be back in two weeks. So I'll see you then. Thanks. <laughs>